Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast channel that puts members on the mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. This is part two of the two-part series, Will the Corporation of the Future Need the Workplace of Today? Featured are Kay Sargent, Senior Vice President of HOK, and Peter Andrew, Director of Workplace Strategy for CBRE. And I, I think it's fascinating, too, when you talk about co-working, because when I was in, in Asia, you know, four or five years ago, co-working, nobody even knew what it was, right? It wasn't even a thing. And all of a sudden, it has absolutely exploded in the region and is growing in that region faster. And it's, it's actually transforming that region in the fact that a lot of big companies have started to go into co-working facilities with a massive movement. So can you share a little bit about what's happening in that region with co-working and how it's starting to evolve and impact the real estate and the design community? Okay, so that's a really good question, Kay. So co-working, first of all, I think we need to understand fundamentally what co-working is. And I think, again, uh, as with alternative workplaces, there are many misconceptions about what co-working is. So from my perspective, co-working is fundamentally, it's a business concept because it's supporting the need of the contingent workforce to be able to come together and not just have a place to work, the flexible space perspective, but actually have a place to meet other people. And we need to meet other people because when we drop out of being part of a major corporation, we need colleagues where we can say, hey, what do you think about this? Or we need colleagues that will mentor us or we can bounce a question off. Or potentially, after we build those sorts of relationships, colleagues, that we can say, hey, look, here's a particular business opportunity. Why don't we run for this together? Why don't we pull something together? So it is a way of bringing together that contingent workforce in the world to, to create a different way of working. And if you look at the kind of companies that are running co-working centres, yes, we're seeing every major developer in Asia has now got some sort of plan for co-working centres. We have some of them that want to be the biggest co-working chains in the world. So. Uh, you know, we're obviously seeing the big brands coming out of the U.S. They, well, they should be careful. There are big brands now coming out of Asia as well, out of India, out of China. But we're seeing, for instance, venture capitalists investing in co-working centers as well in China. And that's just a way to find talent and invest in that talent. We're seeing National Australia Bank in Melbourne building a co-working center on the ground floor mm -hmm. customers, for its business customers where you can meet a guy, you walk in the door, and, and, and the guy who greets you will say, where, where would you like to sit today? Do you need a meeting room to meet your customers? Uh, would you like a coffee? And they build a relationship, and then that conversation flows into, uh, how's your cash flow going? Uh, do you need any investment into your business? And so I, I met the guy who runs the co-working center for National Australia Bank, and, and he was uh, at university, uh, a barista, uh, making coffees in the evenings while he paid his way through university, but he's also a banker. So there you go. It's this hybriding of jobs, isn't it, that we do both? And you know, I, yeah. I like your comment. Well, and and that whole that. space was actually a mistake, right? Because originally it was scheduled to be a restaurant, and at the last minute, the restaurateur decided that uh, they didn't. It wasn't going to be a big enough restaurant for them to actually make the money that they needed to, and so they backed out. So the bank then was had the space on the first floor that was underutilized. They didn't know what to do with it. And they said, well, let's just make it, you know, make it a workspace so that people can come in. And they made it a benefit to the people that uh, were members of the bank. And all of a sudden, it just started to take on a life of its own. And it's been one of the most uh, successful things coming out of a failure that I, you know, that, that's a great model for everybody else out there. 
Absolutely. So there's this whole diversity, but there's, a, there's another play coming through with co-working, which is the play around workplace as a service, which is the co-working operators to be really successful have learned how to uh, build those networks between people. You don't just walk in the door and randomly or accidentally meet um, uh, people like you. They create centers of excellence around certain areas of industry practice, or mm -hmm. they create events that attract people together. Uh, it's a very nurtured uh, way of creating events and community that sort of amplifies that ability to connect in those spaces. And this is where corporations start to get interested in them because uh, they can put their people temporarily into those spaces and they can mix with uh, uh, other people from outside their business to get uh, greater ideas. Now, let, let's look at what's happening in the pharma industry, for instance. Pharma's moving away from blockbuster drugs to micro or nano machines in our bodies. Now, to build a nano machine, so for instance, uh, one of the labs in the US is now building uh, little labs that sit inside your body. They're smaller than a grain of rice. To build that lab, you need an uh, engineer who can build the machine. You need a computer programmer that can program it, and you need biotechnologists that understand the body and how that object will sit inside the body. And these are labs that can be testing your blood in body and streaming signals live through your mobile phone to your doctor or to your drug company to get real-time feedback on what's happening in your body and how to treat it. So as these new kinds of jobs emerge, and, and you know, going back to this conversation around artificial intelligence, this is this crazy future that we're going to be in where, and, and I agree with you, the boring, mundane things in our job, we'll just talk to our computer and say, do my boring, mundane stuff. And we are left over with the complicated, challenging, and really interesting work uh, around solving these really complicated uh, problems and creating great products for the, the world around us. And yeah, if, I, if I just step back for a minute on that whole conversation and come back to artificial intelligence and how it will affect corporations, you know, we've got this ability for small the people to create very powerful companies because they can leverage artificial intelligence. And I often talk when I talk to my children uh, when, when they'll listen to me uh, that the three key skills you need in life going forward around jobs is the uh, creative intelligence to be able to come up with ideas, the social intelligence to be able to socialize and create things with other people, and the ability to leverage artificial intelligence. And so, and this plays back into the co-working story, there is an emergence of a third kind of organization or structure. So we have the big scaled corporations. We have this contingent workforce, 40% in the US, about 15% here in Singapore, um, that sort of float around those big corporations and have this sort of ecosystem of sharing and working with each other. But then we have these companies like WhatsApp uh, or Uber that start from virtually nowhere with, with very few headcount but are very powerful. And so you know, WhatsApp, when it listed on the market for 19 billion pounds, had 45 staff working for them. And so I call these kind of companies the small, big companies. They're very small, but they can act in a very, very big way. And those kind of companies don't look at real estate in the same way as we would traditionally. So they fall into uh, this customer market for the co-working kinds of spaces. And what they're looking for is for the co-working providers to create experience and community for their people. And then that sort of reflects back on the corporations that are thinking, right, I need to drive my real estate portfolio as small as possible. I need high levels of flexibility, and I need to be able to partner with all these different kinds of organizations. So having some or all of their portfolio in co-working starts to allow this blend between these three different types of um, companies. So 
so many things there to touch on, Peter. So I love the whole thing about emotional intelligence and how important that really is and, and how that is an essential skill set for people going forward. And I love the notion that we're just really kind of going beyond designing the environment. It's really about the experience. And it's not just about the experience, but that secret sauce of co-working has created a curated experience that really is kind of tailored to the user that, quite frankly, I think is often taken for granted and or lost in corporate spaces today. So uh, I know that that's one of the secret ingredients. And then, of course, speed innovation is key. And I, I wanted to go back to one other thing that you talked about. You talked about failure and how and why so many spaces are failing. And I think the other thing that's, that's unique here is so many people are chasing the trends and they're applying what other people are doing without really stopping and understanding what is right for them. And I will say that there's lots of conversations right now that as some of this stuff is picking up very, very quickly, there's a real concern about the homogenization and making workspace so generic that at the end of the day, it just won't be right for anybody. It'll be very, um, you know, very benign and that what we really need to focus on and as you and I, both who are workplace strategists, really embrace the concept of understanding what the right solutions are based on somebody in an organization's DNA and, you know, how they work, their, their, uh, the demographics, the regional influences, all of those things that we understand are so impactful. And you talked about um, just the fact that the term workplace strategist is almost becoming diluted because anybody and everybody can call themselves that but they don't necessarily really understand what I think you and I embrace with the full power of that. And so, you know, uh, that to me I think is really important. And so on that notion about, you know, coming up with the right solutions, can you share one or two projects that you're working on right now that you think are really kind of on the right path and are getting you excited and are making you want to jump out of bed in the morning? I always, always want to jump out of bed and do workplace strategy. It's, uh... It's, a, it's an advantage, so maybe a disadvantage as well. But I'll just reiterate first the points that you made about uh, this homogenization of, of work environments. Arguably, most environments built in the last 30 years have been relatively poor environments for people. The, the move towards open plan environments, the homogenized um, real estate solution where I can move any person anywhere and they're not going to complain because they all have exactly the same desk uh, is, is really a one-size-fits-nobody solution, but probably, realistically, we didn't have much choice. Some people did it better than others. Some people understood some nuances that they could add to that model. But if you look at the way the average person in the street talks about work environments, it's not been the most inspiring part of their lives for more than 90% of that population. And I am desperately worried the same thing is going to happen with Activity-based workplaces, we, we see you know, activity-based workplaces, this idea of rich, diverse environments, uh, in many cases being delivered as basic hot desking environments. We see uh, this idea of collaborative work environments, and we see too much of the wrong kind of collaborative space. We see this rush to create cool-looking cafes, and I think there's a challenge here for the design industry that uh, you know, is working to increasingly tight budgets and, and does like to take that little bit of spare money and create that really stunning cafe area, that really stunning reception area because they want to create beautiful things. But there's not that thought behind that to say, well, do we actually really need that? And so if you look at collaboration, and I look at it very closely and all the, the data that we gather on how people work, the highest amount of collaboration that happens in the work environment is two people sitting side by side looking at a computer together. 
and that, in, in my guess, would probably be well over 50% of the collaboration that we observe happening in workplaces. That's not happening in cafes. People will not get up from their desks to go to somewhere to do that. It's often short and sharp, but it can even be for several hours. So truly understanding collaboration, I think, is really important, and that's different in different organisations. And the whole idea, I guess, behind collaboration is this big idea of innovation. If we collaborate more, we're going to share ideas and innovate more. And that's certainly part of the innovation process. But there's another really important part of the innovation process, which is to take the great ideas that come out of the sharing of minds and actually do something with that. And that requires really deep focus and thought at work. And that, to me, is actually has been the biggest problem in traditional workplaces and still is the big problem in all these new emerging workplaces. Understanding and getting that balance right of how people switch between highly focused states of work and highly collaborative states of work. And technology now gives us that ability uh, to be mobile and, and to move to different places. Our technology gives us headphones to be able to shut the world out. And so we need to adapt and understand these work processes to get it right. So I am very interested in, for instance, the agile programming spaces because that's highly team-based space so that the model that we see so prevalent now of hot desking or activity-based working with people being able to sit anywhere doesn't nearly apply in the same way. People can't, from a team, sit all over a floor. They need to sit in groups together. But within that, they still need to be enabled uh, to be mobile. They still need to have quiet places to go. So the work that we're doing on agile programming, I think, will start to unlock the, the unanswered problem in, in workspace design, which is how do you create a highly mobile environment but support really strong team dynamics? So that's a great one. And as I said, we are starting to look at how this applies in industrial environments and environments that involve physical objects in the work. <coughs> so in that case, uh, how do you, again, enhance that mobility but, but allow that to happen around these physical objects that are a really important part of people's work? So a lot, there's some common themes here, Peter, that are absolutely starting to emerge. Choice, variety, balance, agility, mobility, those are, those are things that kind of continually are coming up, and I think that those are some of the key points to really focus on. What do you see on the horizon that is impacting the workplace? We talked a little bit about artificial intelligence, talked about the sharing economy, but what else do you see that you think is going to have an impact? Well, yes, artificial intelligence, I think, is the number one point, and we've talked a lot about the way that's going to impact the way that people work. But the other side of artificial intelligence is the way that it makes the environment around us smarter. So the ability for the environment to be responsive to the needs of people, to predict what you need, to enhance your user experience, uh, whether that's wayfinding, comfort, people finding, uh, I think is going to be really interesting in the way that we work. In fact, I think it's going to be taken for granted in the way that people work in the future. And the key part of that, I think, is health and wellness. So going back to how jobs are changing and, and what we're going to look for in people, to do this new kind of work, the problem solving, the complicated social interactions, we have to be alert, we have to have been rested, we need to be relatively unstressed. And so anything we can do to help people be in that state is going to help the way that they perform. And, you know, I, I had a really interesting chat with Duncan Young from Lendlease the other day in Australia who's doing great research on how the body stresses or de-stresses itself throughout a 24-hour period. Uh, but there are opportunities in the day to de-stress um, amongst what is mostly a stressful activity through most of the day. And he showed a really interesting slide where 
uh, a particular executive had a heart monitor on for the whole day and through the whole day it was red. Red is bad. Red is, is when your body's stressed, except for one period for 30 minutes in the morning. And they looked at the diaries that the executive had, had kept over that period and during that period from whatever it was, 10 till 10.30 in the morning, that executive had an outdoor meeting. They'd gone out into a roof terrace in the, in the building, surrounded by a few plants, and it had a meeting about a non-stressful topic. And just to see the impact that that had on the body, it starts to make us realise that it's not that difficult to integrate this kind of way of thinking into the environment that we create. This is not about spending a lot of money. This is about really understanding the body and its cycles and providing an environment but also teaching the people how to engage with their environment in a way that helps them uh, be, be as focused and as, as um, effective as they can be. And of course at the same time happy and healthy. And I think the workforce has woken up to this. They understand this. It's talked a lot about a lot in the media and that's why it's become such a big attraction and attention, sorry, attraction and retention uh, issue for them in, in the um, various markets and we are seeing that issue right across Asia as well. We're seeing that issue in India, we're seeing that issue in China, and Singapore and Hong Kong. Yeah, health and well-being I think is impacting people. It doesn't look like it's been the elephant in the room, right? And I think everybody all of a sudden is starting to really realize that now that we're living in a world where we're connected 24-7, we really don't necessarily have the ability to ever have downtime and that's really taking an impact on people's stress levels, their health, and their well-being. So great, all great topics, Peter, and I think there's some really, really exciting times ahead. So any final thoughts that you have about the future, Peter, and anything else that you think is coming and on the horizon? I think if we want to cast our eye out much further, I think we're going to see actually a whole lot of different ways that people interact with technology that will start to impose some really interesting design challenges. You know, how we interact with the machines around us. Do we wave our hands? Do we uh, talk to our machines more? How will they interact with us? Uh, may actually change the way we physically relate in space. But I also don't think that the future of the office is just the great big cafe supporting collaboration. I think it will have to support a whole lot of different work activities. And somewhere, somehow, people are going to have to get the work done. So right back to the choice, variety, balance, agile, mobility and we're going to throw in well-being as some of the common themes. So, you know, I love the fact that you're a designer at heart, an architect at heart, and I think we can say that we're living in a time that is truly exciting, that we as designers have always understood the power and the art of design, but now we're actually starting to blend it more with the science of place. And those two, when they come together, I think are creating really, really impactful environments. So I'm really excited about the workplace as we go forward. So Peter, I want to thank you so much for joining us today on What's Next, bringing you the future of corporate real estate, a podcast that is sponsored by Cornet Global. And again, thank you very much, Peter, for being our guest. Some great thoughts that you've left us with today. You're most welcome, and I hope the content and discussion today was useful for those on the call. And of course, join the, join the global conversation that we all have about workplace through Cornet. This concludes the second part of Cornet Global's podcast, Will the Corporation of the Future Need the Workplace of Today? Want to record a What's Next podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit cornetglobal.org to learn more.